I'm Lauren. And I'm Eric. Over the past year, we've connected dozens of classic She-Ra episodes to modern progressive issues. But we're not done yet. In this second season of our show, I'm no longer a newbie to Etheria. This year, we're taking a higher level view of the characters and issues that face the Princess of Power. We're as interested as ever in how those issues connect to our current political landscape. So join us as we look back to the 80s and forward to the Netflix reboot of one of our favorite cartoons. This, this is, is She-Ra, Progressive, Progressive of Power. Hello and welcome to She-Ra, Progressive of Power. My name is Lauren. I'm Eric. Eric almost came in late there because he was drinking his LaCroix and was not ready for my awesomeness. LaCroix coconut, which is a very divisive flavor. It is very divisive. I mean, I'm, you're drinking it, so you must enjoy it. Is it in your top five? It's actually my top one. It's your top one. Yeah. So myself and um, a future guest who I believe will be on this show to talk about uh, capitalism at some point. Uh, we are the only two people in this office who enjoy LaCroix coconut. <laughs> well, then all that's in the refrigerator is just for you. You know, it's yes. always going to be there, right? It feels good. So speaking of beverages, the thing that I was thinking of when I came over uh, on the lift, because I currently don't have a car. British for elevator, right? You took an elevator? Yeah, there? I took an elevator through the sky, uh, Willy Wonka style, <laughs> to the studio here. And I was thinking, what if our podcast had a drinking game associated mm -hmm. with it? Because I wanted to say that I found Lookie in all of our episodes today. And I was like, God, I just freak out about the fact that I find Lookie every time. That would definitely be a drink. I only got one of three. Uh, yeah, <gasps> so that's a drink. I think anytime you remind us that this is a kid show, that's That was going to be my other one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I think anytime I talk about fan culture now, uh, like in a bemoaning way, that's probably a drink. Anytime we open up the series Bible. Uh, yeah, anytime I talk about pie, which only happened once, but a lot of times in that time. <laughs> yeah. That's just a dangerous episode for the listener, I Still guess. Still my favorite. And uh, honestly, anytime we say we like Shadow Weaver, which uh -oh. I think brings us into today's episode, actually. Uh, this season, one of our new features is character deep dives. Uh, you already theoretically heard our Lookie episode, and today is our very favorite character, Shadow Weaver. And this just confirmed that she's my favorite character. Yes, me too. Uh, today we watched uh, The Eldritch Mist, The Price of Power, and Shadows and Skulls. Uh, and there are lots of important themes in these episodes. But before we get into that, I'd like to introduce our guest. Uh, this is, I'm going to geek out, Honestly, our first guest who we didn't know personally before we started this show. At least in some way. We actually, we have at least one fan out there, and we immediately invited him to be with us. So now that he is part of the show, we have zero fans again. Yeah, no one's going <laughs> to listen to this episode because our listenership is here. Uh, no, his, that's not true. His we name okay. is Jacob Torbeck. He is an instructor of theology and ethics. And we brought him here, uh, I think, primarily to talk about magic and uh, technology and sort of the, the spirituality of all of that with Shadow Weaver. Hello, Jacob. Greetings, guys. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, Jacob, a little backstory, reached out to us on Facebook and said, hey, I love this show. I'd love to hear an episode on any one of these things. And 
little did he know, we were planning on doing a Shadow Weaver episode that talked about magic and technology. So here we are. Yes. So, uh, Jacob, would you like to tell us as much as you are interested in telling us about your job and uh, kind of what makes you uh, the ideal expert for this episode? Yeah. So my job is that I am a professor of theology and ethics. I have been doing it since about 2013. And uh, one of my areas of interest is uh, those places where faith runs up against culture, uh, especially pop culture. So when you're talking about science and technology, there's an easy corollary to religion and science, whether or not magic is part of that. Uh, There's a big deal. I'm Catholic, so we talk about the Catholic imagination and how magic has historically played a role in Catholic practice and that kind of thing. And so the Shadow Weaver stuff is maybe a little abstract because there doesn't seem to be much theology per se in Etheria, but there sure is a lot of magic and a lot of eldritch magic. Well, sure. And the question of whether or not you believe in this stuff and whether or not you believe it's valid definitely comes into play. Oh, yeah, it sure does. What? Not that Shira again. Oh, no matter. Tomorrow with this book. The rebellion will be made helpless, prisoners of their own forest. <laughs> so, which was the first of these three episodes? Is it Eldritch Mist? Eldritch Mitch is... Uh, Eldritch, Eldritch Mitch. Mitch. Yeah, <laughs> Eldritch Mitch Hedberg. Eldritch Mist is first, which is good because this hints a little bit at the backstory between Shadow Weaver and Castispella, which is then explored in our second episode. Uh, should we do recaps or should we just... It's going to be long if we do recaps. We could. Quick... I challenge you to do the shortest recap possible. Okay. Eldritch Mist. In this episode, Shadow Weaver finds an ancient tomb, tome that uh, <laughs> gives her a sleeping spell that she casts around the Whispering Woods and Castispella and Adora, plus Adam, who Castispella is super thirsty for, uh, foil Shadow Weaver's plan. Yeah, honestly, that's about it. It's it's a He-Man crossover episode, which I think often uh, are a lot more complicated. They're a lot more cinematic than this one. And this is a very simple He-Man episode. Yeah, and what you're talking about, like, I'm, I'm glad you brought up, do people believe in this stuff? Because this episode really keyed in for me, something we've touched on before, that every one of Shadow Weaver's plans involves finding some ancient artifact that people don't know if it's real or not, and then exploiting the power of that artifact. Right, and how many times does she have to do that before people stop questioning whether or not she's legit? (laughs) Yeah, you'd think in a world of, like, uh, sorcery, people would just accept this, but I guess Horde is more technology than sorcery, so maybe, maybe even the Horde has a vested interest in making sure people don't believe in this mysticism stuff. I don't know. What do you think, Jacob? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. I mean, I want to sort of do a callback to uh, your previous episode when you, uh, I think it was your episode five when you did Lost for Words, uh, when Hordak just basically says, I should never rely on sorcery, even though the Horde is actually, and we'll get to this later, who gave Shadow Weaver the power <laughs> right. of magic, right? <laughs> All of this forgotten knowledge is on Etheria. People don't know if it's real. And yet, magic is a real everyday part of their lives. So there's a weird weird con- uh, conflict or, or tension there. It's the same way that you read DC Comics and, you know, Mr. Terrific, the smartest man on earth, is an atheist. And you're like, how can you be an atheist when literally, like, your teammates are angels of God? You know what I mean? <laughs> so there's, there's, like, a weird disconnect between, like, how people are in the real world and the rules of this fantasy world. But given, like, the Horde propaganda machine, I'm not sure it... it 
super doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Sure. Well, it does flesh out a rule that we were curious about on one of our previous episodes as well. Looky as we previously discussed, is, quote, a creature of magic. And I remember us wondering, like, what does that mean? <laughs> and there's a, apparently a category of, of being you could be that also includes Shadow Weaver and Castispella, and they are called magic makers in this episode. Nobody else could even use the book. If someone found it, and it's full of ancient endless dark magic from a thousand years ago if you're not a magic maker it would be useless to you which means this is a literal and real force in this universe that's right there seem to be magical artifacts like adam and adora's swords and hordak in part i think you could call him a techno sorcerer because he has some loose command of magic but you're totally right that this episode breaks out like there are people who like that is their kind of essence is magical you know, there's a there's an analog, I think, um, and we see it a lot in in Western cultures, sort of European cultures, um, where religion sometimes becomes part of the furniture. So it's all around you all the time, but you don't really notice it. You don't know much about it. And, you know, there's a special class of people who understand religion. Now, uh, my students don't really understand religion. They come in and it's part of the furniture. They don't really know what's going on. They don't know how it's supposed to work. And so sort of the religious literate class, you know, is maybe an analog to that where this, you know, magic is all around you, but you have no idea what's going on most of the time. I think that's a really great observation. And it kind of puts me in the headspace of Star Wars, too, where like as a viewer, you're like, how do, you know, Finn and Poe not know what Jedi are? But in that universe, like you say, it was part of the furniture for so long. And then actual force users were limited to like two or three people and so it just the practice of it kind of disappears and like the name is there and the culture is there without the the ritual and the power of it all so i do want to point out uh just to kind of tie this in with our political uh motivations on this podcast uh the magic of this universe is not the ruling power of this universe um i was just talking to a friend a couple of days ago about if you we're running for president of the United States. And you said, I am atheist. I think it would just be political suicide because we've created a nation where even though religion requires a lot of, I don't want to say blind belief, but it requires you to believe not always without always seeing I mean, or without faith, always right? knowing that's faith. What faith is, the word yeah. is faith. And I am an atheist. And so I struggle with this all the time that me not having faith of this specific regard in my country makes me someone seen as maybe not trustworthy, maybe not political material. But Hordak is kind of the atheist of of this of Etheria and gets to be the ruler of it for now. And maybe there's interesting political implications with where the writers were coming from, but as I'm sure Jacob as a he said before the show to me that he identifies as a progressive Catholic would happily speak to, you know, the religious right may wear Christianity as a shield, but do they really embody it? That is a whole well, oh, question. So what's in the news today, um, specifically in terms of uh, religious hypocrisy? I guess I would want to bring up Stormy Daniels and the fact that it is a conflict right now over whether or not this 
adult film star? Should it be able to go public with her story of infidelity uh, through Donald Trump? Uh, and I, I have very strong feelings about that because it's one of those things where I feel just, frankly, had it been Barack Obama, the religious people would be outraged. But for some reason, this guy gets a pass. I don't know. Yeah. So it's interesting when we, when we talk about our, our president. I don't think that he had much of a faith life or faith commitment at all prior to this election. <laughs> I agree. And then he you know, shows up and, and tries to put that on. So that, like you say, uh, he doesn't come out as an atheist or just a non-believer or something. And I think, you know, some of the political platforms of the right, so, for example, being pro-life, that is such an important platform for uh, white evangelicals, for Catholics, that they're almost willing to trade anything for it. Uh, Chicago, of course, has a long tradition of uh, emphasizing uh, the whole life tradition of that, which means that it's not just life, you know, in the womb, it's life ever after, but that doesn't actually extend a whole lot into uh, evangelical Protestantism. You don't see that a whole lot. <laughs> no. So, yeah, I think, I think, you know, Donald Trump, much of the way Hordak uses magic as a sort of instrument, uh, Donald Trump also used religion as an instrument uh, in that he adopted this kind of thing. Uh, I remember it was at, at Liberty University, maybe. He got up and he gave a speech where he cited two Corinthians. And it sounds like the beginning of a joke, two Corinthians walking to a bar or something. <laughs> it's second Corinthians. It's the Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. It's not two Corinthians. Um, so all of this kind of thing that, you know, he's putting on the facade. He's making some people more comfortable with the fact that they just didn't really want to vote for Hillary Clinton, I think, is what it amounted to. I think that's a great read, and it does. It is echoes of how Hordak uses magic. It's like I don't care about it, but it helped me ascend to power. So here we go. You know, interestingly, I just saw in the news this morning that uh, Donald Trump's military parade is in fact happening on Veterans Day, and that is, I think, another weaponized kind of costume that the president is just putting on. He's a multi multi time draft dodger. Uh, who's never had to live the life of a of a veteran in any way, and yet clearly is trying to take military service and military patriotism and turn it into this big spectacle for himself and his supporters. Uh, and I kind of feel like that that's a little bit Hordak too. Uh, Hordak loves big tanks with his face on them even though he, he fails over and over at operating them effectively. Is something wrong? Yes. Uh, I mean, no, no, uh, nothing's wrong, Horde Prime. Uh, there's something I've got to do. Uh, call you back later. Bye. So I think we should probably talk about exactly how the Horde started to use magic so we can transition, but there are two things in Eldritch Mist, Eldritch Mist not Mitch, that I want to point out. And one is, speaking of Hordak and his love of power, how hard, this is another drinking thing, how hard he laughs at his tax collection. Yes, he taxes. Is maniacally happy to be taking taxes from people. I wrote the word taxes and underlined it two times <laughs> because that is, in fact, a drinking game yes, moment. Yes, he loves his taxes. Oh, my gosh. And I feel like as a progressive podcast, we also should talk about the issue of consent in this episode. Yes. Gender flipped. <laughs> I was, right. So if we're going to talk about Donald Trump and who has the moral high ground, before we even got to Shadow Weaver in this episode, I was very uncomfortable with Ms. Castaspella, who essentially just brings Adam out of his universe and into this one because she's thirsty. 
what the heck? Literally through water. Like, <laughs> yeah. So you might have noticed in our Bible, Lauren, take a drink. There's a, scene, uh, a paragraph that says, in a scene heavily cut for time, Adora mentioned her brother, Prince Adam, remarking that he is gentle and kind, with Castisfella immediately asking, good looking? When Adora affirms this, Castisfella states that she wants to see him for herself. Yes. And then uh, when she lies and is like, oh, I must have left the magical portal on by mistake, Adora's line is, mistake my foot. As if it's maybe funny that this all happened. And I don't find it very funny. Yeah. I'm squicked out. It was a little gross. Kidnapping is totally okay, though. <laughs> right. Okay. So take a drink because we're going to talk about Lookie's moral in this one. Lookie's moral was just another generic get help from your parents message. Mm -hmm. And I feel like maybe it should have been kidnapping is wrong <laughs> or please always get consent because Castisbella really could have taught and or learned a valuable lesson here. Yeah, and it's kind of weird. Adam's, like, into it. He never even, like, has a question about it. Well, one of the big uh, pillars of our show, I think, is occasionally remembering that this was the 80s, and I think this probably was funnier in its time. Yeah, it's a shame that th well, this is the first time we've seen Castispella in our show, right? Yes. And it's one of her big spotlights, and this is our introduction to her. Yeah, Oops. she looks awesome, though. Her hair is great. Yeah, she's super cool. She's one of the definitely one of the action figures I want to go back to the toy episode we recorded earlier this season. Yeah, I uh, I just wish she was a little more on board with like the consent train. But. Right. Well, she's I think one of the most powerful characters we've seen, and she's gorgeous. She's got a lot going for her. She doesn't need to kidnap men. I'm sure plenty of would be interested. Yeah, she does seem to have a lot of power, which nicely bleeds into our next episode. So. There's a duel in this episode between Castispella and Shadow Weaver, which we should touch on as yes. we transition, because there are all these sort of teaser lines, like, uh, you used to know how to have a good time, which implies they have some history, and we learn about it later. Yeah, that was my favorite part of this episode, was them fighting inside Horror Hall, which is a very like Lovecraftian kind of uh, aesthetic to it. And, yeah, that was really cool. There's a part where Acasta says of Shadow Weaver, uh, do you always make ugly things with your magic as she turns, like, a demon beast into a cuddly teddy bear? Yeah, granted, I'm not sure the butterflies with their terrifying faces were that much prettier, in my opinion, <laughs> but I take their point. I've been waiting a long time for this meeting. Yes, it has been a long time. I can't believe how much you've changed. I serve the horn now, while you serve the rebels. Here's a taste of my powers. Well, I like mine better. Look at what you've become. Yes, look. I have become powerful. Do you always make ugly things with your magic? I like to make pretty things. See? I've been just toying with you so far. This monster will take care of you. Next one is called Price of Power, and I'm going to let you uh, take the summary again because you were really looking forward to this episode. My okay, yeah, this is, I think, my second favorite episode that we've covered. Uh, I love this episode. Here's my lightning-fast summary. The origin of Shadow Weaver. 
Basically, there is a kid who is a magician's apprentice. He's not happy with how quickly he's learning. So he tries to hook up with Shadow Weaver because he learns that she got her powers literally overnight. And he's like, oh, I want to do that. Well, this kid's teacher was Shadow Weaver's former teacher. And he kind of tells the backstory of how she got corrupted. And then they save this kid from Shadow Weaver's evil influence. Yes. So very early on in this episode, the teacher says, uh, easier isn't always better. And what I wrote underneath that for myself was, wouldn't some people argue that technology creates the same problem? Uh, and that's, mm. that's a discussion I want to have. So I'm going to start my answer by sort of calling back to the last episode a little bit. At the end of the last episode, at the end of Eldritch Mist, uh, Hordak's technology actually fails him. Like he has his projector gun mm-hmm. uh, and it's, it pins him up against the ceiling and he can't turn it off. With a really hilarious sound effect, by the way. Also his uh, so-named security cabinet, <laughs> which <laughs> breaks and the book gets loose. Yeah. Right. So, Total failure. You know, as much as he hates techno- uh, sorcery rather, and, and thinks it's unreliable, really it's his own technology that fails him in the last episode. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't prevail. So when it comes to sort of technology versus sorcery and making our lives easier... I don't know if you guys are familiar, but there's a whole lot being done right now on this, this concept of transhumanism. The idea that, you know, can we augment humanity? Can we do this? Does my humanity stop at my fingertips? Or does who I am as a person extend to my devices? If we're talking about Hordak and Shadow Weaver, like, this is an important question. So I think there's a lot, you know, when you talk about religion, you know, is it, is it ethical to modify yourself in this way? Um, how does that change the way we relate? How does technology change the way we worship or invest value and meaning in things? I look back and I'm looking at sort of sort of the, the cause of this show, right? Uh, and I look back also to the other ep- ep- the last episode. You know, all of Cast a Spell is magic reminded me of sort of peace protests, you know, during Vietnam when people would put flowers and guns. You know, she's she's working hard to sort of turn this violence around. All of her magic is reactionary. All of it is sort of this almost this caricature of goodness. It's so flowers and teddy bears and butterflies and what are you doing here? I kind of got a bit of that from this episode as well. The idea that that the road against violence is a hard road. The road to stand up to injustice is a hard road. And then I think back to Martin Luther King and all these kinds of things. Um, So I I would throw that out there and let you guys mess with that for a bit. Yeah, I I think that's right. And, you know, I'll I'll also... um identify myself again as an atheist so i don't necessarily buy into the concept exactly but it does kind of put me in the headspace of like original sin that like our default setting is i'm not going to say evil but almost like a laziness that lets injustice prosper and so you know that just from from my point of view so yeah i think i i do agree with norwin he's the teacher his ultimate point that like anything virtuous you have to work for and that's kind of the struggle of life is like maintaining and and fortifying this virtue. Well, I love that we're talking about this in this way because it's filling in a gap that I could I didn't I wasn't able to fill by myself when I was watching this episode. What I wrote down was the light magic seems pretty easily duped and or abandoned in in this in that Norwin is a really great teacher, but he's at like 50% as far as we know for kids who just go off and betray him and and turn to the dark side. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, two thirds, 66% for until the very end of this episode. Yeah. Until, until we get the kid back. Oh, because PSE also taught Castaspella. Yes. That's that's how she knows Shadow Weaver. And there's actually, uh, you mentioned Star Wars earlier on this episode and 
I kept writing Star Wars references on this one because we have a Padawan who's tempted to the dark side. Uh, we have literally a like R2-D2 Princess Leia like holographic projection at one point that we see. And not to jump too far ahead, but there's a final confrontation between uh, Norwin and Shadow Weaver that to me read very like Vader Obi-Wan. Yeah. I think I think there's a lot of stuff that's being borrowed here, but to your point, it's being borrowed in a way that it makes sense. If the conversation we're supposed to be having is that justice and goodness takes hard work and success takes hard work, I think that is a a story at the center of the Jedi as well. And I, I like that you're talking about uh being easily duped because sometimes I, I feel gullible because my default instinct is to trust people. And maybe that is like Norwin's uh, issue too, because I think when you're not saying I am, but when you're like a good light, bright person, you assume other people are also giving you their best selves. And so like Norwin would just assume that Shadow Weaver, who weirdly was called that even when she was yeah. his teenage apprentice, wouldn't make the right choice. I was very interested in the point that she did not get all of the power that she could have yes. gotten. The, Norwin says she got one third of the... Okay, so we should recap that. Yeah. What happens is, um, er, apparently early on in the Horde's fight against Etheria, they're not even occupying yet. They're just striking. Hordak reaches out to this apprentice who's hungry for power and says, hey, I have this jewel that will give you all the power you want in an instant. And Shadow Weaver agrees, takes the, begins to absorb the jewel's power, and then Norwin stops the transfer. He says one-third of the way in, indicating that she is only a third as powerful as she could be. Right. And this is my favorite component to this episode, because not only do we see she would have physically transformed to something much more grotesque and crazy-looking, uh, but also a big portion of her internal struggle is that she's not good enough even now because she could have been more powerful and that was taken away from mm -hmm. her. So she made this choice and then sort of got duped out of it. And we see that at the episode's end where she has this confrontation with Norwin where it we see that like for all of his kind of bluster, not bluster, but like he's kind of just a happy-go-lucky guy, like he's not too assuming, he is still super powerful and he handily like takes care of all her tricks and beats her, and she is, like, burning inside about it. She resents him. I'm only thinking about this just now, but do we think that part of the reason Hordak resents her so much is that she's sort of half-baked? Like, she's not fully what she was meant to become if he had his way with her. That's a good question, and it, it reminds me, so it's back in, is it Lost for Words? He mentions that he can take away her power, mm -hmm. and she gets stuck in that machine, and now we kind of see... The reverse of that, when we see her getting her power, you know, implying that he can take it away. Maybe they could give her more. Maybe mm -hmm. she's strategically left that way because the Horde doesn't want competition. Because we know, because we're gonna, about to get to an episode where she has her own designs. And the whole reason Lauren and I did this episode in the first place is because if we pointed out, as we pointed out so much, she is the only competent Horde's person on Etheria. She's, like, super together, super powerful. So, yeah, maybe this is intentional by Hordak to, like, make sure she doesn't usurp him. Yeah, well, I, f I really feel for her in this episode, and she remains my favorite character because her light side teacher also implies 
she's broken as far as he could have taken her to. He refers to the sorceress she could have been, like it's now this unattainable thing that's never going to happen. So she can't reach full power no matter what type of magic she's using. Yeah, I... I agree with you. I I do feel for her, too. I mean, she's still obviously a bad guy, but I do think as far as, like, rounded characters, she's the the one of the best this show gives us on any side. I think in this episode, it's, it's really good because Norwin, he feels pity for her. He says that, right? But we also get a sense of, I think, you know, if Shadow Weaver is, is, and I think she is one of the most rounded characters, we get a sense of what her sort of tragic flaw is as a character. Uh, and it's not just her lust for power, right? It's impatience. Even when it comes to sort of, uh, she's talking to Mantena, I think it is. And, she, and he's like, well, you don't have to send these writers now. They're going to come. And she's like, I don't want to wait that long. And this is sort of the refrain then from Shadow Weaver from now on is her impatience, right? Uh, and the heroes then sort of counter, counter that. There's lots of, in every battle, there's lots of, I hope I can get the timing right. Mm. Uh, as opposed to sort of Shadow Weaver always going, I don't want to wait. That's a great point, yeah. and to kind of make a weird religious point, it strikes me as like this overall show has, I would call, almost cardinal virtues that they try to instill in the children that are watching, like what are good and kind and just ways to be. And this episode really pushes for patience, for sure. Yeah, and not to sound too much like a shitty think piece directed at millennials, but this does kind of bring us back to the technology idea too, is like both Shadow Weaver and Arden, they both want things immediately, which I think is a lot of the impetus for why any kind of technology gets developed is because, you know, everything's on demand. Oh, I don't, now it's like they have on demand phone repair, on demand grocery delivery. I don't want to walk to the store. I want groceries now. You know, and that that is interesting. I'm so glad you said that, though, because the one final note that I wanted to make sure we hit is what is the reason people, especially children, become that kind of impatient? It's very easy for people to be like, oh, you're so lazy. You can't even walk to the restaurant for food. It's got to be delivered to your house. Gosh. But there's a reason society asked for the technology that it asked for and the conveniences that it asked for. Early on in this episode, Arden is told that the story of Shadow Weaver will be shared with him when he's old enough to understand. And that just ripped my heart out because I think the worst thing you can do for a child's curiosity is tell them that they haven't earned answers yet. And this actually kind of pushes this kid, I think, to pursue shadow weaver and pursue the horde because the person he trusted and looked up to essentially told him he's not good enough yet he's not smart enough today he's not ready and so his impatience didn't come from just like i'm a child and i'm fundamentally like this it was sort of rooted in i was fine until you told me i wasn't good enough and if i'm not good enough clearly someone out there is going to make me feel like i'm i'm worthy Uh, And to bring that into, I guess, today a little bit, the thing that this reminded me of, oddly enough, was the national conversation that we have about uh, sex ed and how it uh, affects teen pregnancy and how it affects the abortion rate. It's proven that the more we share with kids about their bodies and their sexuality, (laughs) frankly, the more responsible they are in making choices with it. 
And hiding things from kids often results in this type of rebellion. I have a lot of questions, I think, going forward in watching She-Ra, like, where else does the Horde get footholds in this same way? Because we didn't, we weren't open with each other, or we weren't embracing each other. Sure, because doesn't it imply that they they had enough intelligence to seek out this, you know, apprentice who wasn't getting what she felt she deserved? Right. Oh my gosh. So like back to just Donald Trump again. Donald Trump was able to tap into this sort of white middle to lower class insecurity that I'm seeing other cultures and other types of people gain prosperity around me and I'm panicking. I want to go back to when America was great and I felt like the most powerful person again. And he was able to tap into sort of the fear and the bigotry of a lot of our country. And I, that's exactly what The Horde is doing, too. That's why we have this show. Just the theme of temptation is so strong in this episode. Um, and it's a huge religious theme, right? The idea of, of can you take power now? How do you take it? It's, it's one of the sort of founding, founding myths of Christianity. Like you said, original sin is this idea that we are tempted and we succumb against everything we thought was a good idea before. So I think it sort of ends with the idea that what's the moral learned from our mistakes? But the, the sort of being able to resist temptation, I think, is very important in the end. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, you would know this better than I, but this does kind of feel like a classically like Western religious episode, doesn't it? With like the light sorcerer beating back the dark and teaching his apprentice not to fall for the evil. Like literally, I'm looking at this still they put in the book and it's Shadow Weaver offering Arden a, a red gem that might as well be an apple. You know what I mean? Like this is straight up religious symbology. Yeah, the thing that I appreciate about this episode, though, that differs it from a lot of my lesser favorite religious tales is uh, the the most pessimistic part of my atheism is the part that sees some of those stories as uh, preventing people from questioning or preventing people from looking at and analyzing critically the power that is currently around them. Um, I don't like when these sort of resist temptation, be good stories make people uh, complacent. However, I don't think that's in this episode because following the light wizard will give you immense power as well. It's not like don't choose power. It's choose the power that's serving the right side. Right, yeah. It shows that there is a reward for doing the just thing. It just takes time to achieve, which is nice. Yeah. It's not keeping you um, in empty servitude. That's what the Horde wants. Norwin, exactly what happened between you and Shadow Weaver? It all happened shortly after the Horde first arrived on Etheria. Though we were outgunned, there was hope as long as the Council of Kings were safe. Only a handful of us knew the secret location of their base. Among them, my students, Castaspella and Shadow Weaver. What we did not know was that Shadow Weaver had made a deal with the Horde. They would provide her with a power gem that would make her powerful beyond imagining. In exchange, she would betray the Council of Kings. I discovered what was happening too late. I destroyed the power gem, but not before she had taken a third of its power. It changed her forever. And for that reason, she has hunted me ever since. All right, should we do our last part? We're clipping. So 
This is Of Shadows and Skulls. It is another crossover episode, and it's most closely related to the pie episode from last season. This is another uh, Skeletor teams up with a Horde general to depose Hordak. This time, of course, it is Shadow Weaver, who gets chewed out after She-Ra makes her magic backfire on a mission. And uh, filled with resentment, she seeks out Skeletor. They concoct a plan to defeat Hordak, and it mostly works except then skeletor betrays shadow weaver of course assumes command of the horde um hordak and shadow weaver together are able to destroy skeletor's trap and send him back to eternia yeah spoiler alert shadow weaver and skeletor definitely would have gotten away with it if they weren't so individually willing to throw the other under the bus yeah so what happens is they plan an ambush for hordak using both of their power sets and then they lock Hordak in an enchanted cage. And that cage's magic is too strong to be broken by his technology. Unfortunately, since Skeletor also locks Shadow Weaver in the cage, they can combine their technology and magic to break out. But had he not done that, Hordak would still be buried in a mountain. Yes. Uh, and interestingly, this ties back more into the previous episode than I even thought it was going to when I first watched them. Because the points I was making about Arden switching sides because he didn't feel appreciated. That is exactly what Shadow Weaver does here. Shadow Weaver is called a useless trickster and shadow wimpy. And her whole thing is, this place doesn't value me. I'm out. And so in in two short episodes, we've seen the good guys and the bad guys suffer from just not appreciating one another the way we should all be appreciated. And it really does play into her pathos that we just talked about of like, she never feels good enough. And this is kind of the first time we've ever seen Hordak, not the first, but one of the only times we see Hordak dress her down so severely and she just stews with rage about it. Well, I would too. I mean, (laughs) Hordak is her direct supervisor the person she is giving all of her energy and power to serve and is technically just the ruler of the whole earth. (laughs) It would suck to feel like that person wouldn't care if you lived or died. Truth. I do want to say this feels like a no-brainer team-up, like Skeletor and Shadow Weaver. Uh, Fun fact, I may have at one point alluded to a a fan fiction I wrote in junior or in early high school that I was convinced would bring He-Man and She-Ra back to television. And in it, the main villains were Shadow Weaver and and Skeletor teamed up with uh, a demon from Earth who was actually the devil, turns out. Ooh. Ooh, that is so edgy, Eric. (laughs) I know. I went to Catholic high school. What can I say? I was reading Edith Wharton's mythology at the time. It really spoke to me. So a theme that I... (laughs) That was... killed Jake. Jake, I really got that one. (laughs) I was like, what if the devil was also, like, he had all these Grecian deities at his command? It was so dumb. Man. Even at, at like, 13, I'm like, Shadow Weaver plus Skeletor equals awesome. So uh, one of the themes that I want to pull out of this one is... The uh, the devil you know, if you will, or like at least he's our asshole. So we end up seeing the horde back together, united front. And the impression that I get is, well, at least he's out. Like, at least she's our villain, or at least Hordak is ours. At least we're all on the same team. And Skeletor's always going to be a bit of an outsider because he's literally from a different dimension. And so in the end, the Horde is always going to choose itself because at least, even though they're all traitorous and out to get each other, they're the devil we know, at least, at least they're on our team. 
and I, I wrote, uh, you know, Putin and Kim Jong-un on my piece of paper because I feel like a big conflict in the United States right now is, gosh, we sure do hate Donald Trump, but do we hate, you know, North Korea more or do we hate cyber attacks from Russia more? And I think there's a lot of people to throw back to an earlier part of this conversation willing to throw in behind Donald Trump because at least he's our asshole and at least he's not that that bad guy from over there. What do we think about that? I think the show would be sweet as Skeletor can control the horde for a while. I'll just say that. <laughs> it, I mean, I don't know much about it because I was new when we started watching this together. Is is Skeletor a competent bad guy? I don't think so. No, not at all. Would, so, so I feel like they would be worse off. What's astounding to me in this episode is it seems like Skeletor whoops Hordak pretty handily. Yeah. Hordak just cannot compete with Skeletor's magic all of a sudden. And it's like, man, is the only thing that's holding Skeletor back on Eternia, I mean, aside from He-Man, just lack of an army? Because that's, you know, what Hordak has that Skeletor doesn't. But but bringing it back to the other thing, um, you're talking about Putin and Kim Kim Jong-un. You know, you wonder if if some of the ways these, these kinds of people hold power is by the sort of the demonization of, of the other, right? So I can hold power in a regime because I have convinced uh, my, my people that the rest of the world is against us. You know, we have these values. That's why, you know, I think probably Vladimir Putin is so big on, on what Russia is, Russian identity. And I'm a little bit creeped out by sort of American nationalism at this point. And a little bit creeped out by the fact that Donald Trump has said, you know, this, this elimination of term limits in China, maybe we should do the same thing. Oh, yeah, that's my God. Real scary. That was, we hadn't brought that one up yet, but that was, to me, the scariest thing that's happened in the news in weeks. Yeah, it's one of the worst things he's ever said. Apparently, it was in the context of a joke, but you know he doesn't think it's a joke. Yeah, I guess, I mean, that's that's an interesting analogy. We've kind of cast Hordak this whole time as the Trump, and Skeletor, I don't know, he's probably on the Kim Jong-un level, a little bit more of a narcissistic dictator versus like a kind of a black ops secret spy ringleader guy. I don't know, like, really, is there a good answer? Like, they're both terrible. Yeah, well, the answer is neither, I guess. But Yeah, uh, the rebels win is what we want. Yeah, so the thing that I think lets Skeletor win in this episode is that he continues to be underestimated by Hordak. Hordak is not thinking about Skeletor 24-7, but I think Skeletor might be thinking about Hordak pretty much all the time. And so when he shows up, it's always a bit of a surprise, and what he's capable of doing is always a bit of a surprise to Hordak. Skeletor is charming, though, in a weird way. I love Skeletor! What's your plan, Shadow Weaver? I'll create a dimensional gate for you to come here to Etheria. Then, together, we will trap Hordak, and I will become ruler of Etheria. That's just peachy for you, but what do I get out of it? For your help, I'll give you everything you need to conquer Eternia. Whatever you want. Whatever I want, eh? All right, Shadow Weaver, you've got yourself a deal. Send your gate. It will arrive in a few moments. I shall look forward to your coming. You sure you can't trust her? Who said I was going to? Once she's delivered Hordak to me, I'll take care of her, too. (laughs) 
to bring it back real quick to the technology versus magic thing that's permeated this episode, I did find it interesting that magic alone was enough to defeat Hordak, but it was the combination of technology and magic that freed him. Yes. So it's interesting to me that this is a season one episode, because had I not already jumped ahead to some season two stuff with you, I would leave this episode wondering, what happens now? Do we more effectively merge magic and technology? Do we listen to each other more and merge our beliefs more to be stronger? (laughs) Jacob shaking his head. Spoiler alert, the answer is no. And I think that says a lot about you know, our current political divisiveness as well. Right. Like, you get the impression Hordak and Shadow Weaver could kind of do anything if they were on the same page communications-wise and if they trusted each other as equals. Everyone in this episode, including Shadow Weaver, wants to be the sole leader of the universe. Uh, and get, uh, we already we already opened up the Pandora's box of Donald Trump saying, maybe a president forever. There's a lot of leaders in our world who want that, too. Yeah. Yeah. If I could sort of take that, but then also sort of go back to the beginning of the episode a little bit. Because I think, you know, at the beginning, we, we, we do get the fact that Shadow Weaver does mess up. Uh, and again, it's her impatience. Um, she's watching everything play out. And she says, this takes too long. And then her magic backfires because she reflects it and everything's bad. And everybody can see that she is a stunning failure. They say your magic's failed us. Uh, I think Lauren mentioned they called her a useless trickster. And then there's like this other inversion where when Skeletor shows up, he boasts, my magic got us, got me out of this pit that you just made or whatever. Uh, and then he just, you know, sort of handles Hordak. So there's, there's this one-upmanship where my way is better than your way, your way is clearly not working, and then it gets reversed. Now my way is better. See how clearly it handled your technology. And then in the end, you know, they come together and, and they, can, they can make things happen. I think, you know... This, this reminds me of sort of all of the ways in which technology, science, politics, religion, uh, faith in general all used to be part of the same kind of thing. And sort of like looking at history, like seeing the gradual unraveling, a lot of scientific advancements, the people that were doing them were Christians, uh, or, the, or maybe the designation between what science was and what magic was. Like if, if you ever read Isaac Newton, you guys may or may not know, like he was an alchemist. completely off his rocker when it came to sort of some of the stuff he was doing. And so, like, all of the ways in which this stuff that isn't science now gets discredited, or even, you know, I think he's come around, but Neil deGrasse Tyson for a while was like, I don't see any use for the humanities philosophy. You know, that stuff's bogus. And I'm like, dude, (laughs) humanities is what I do, and you clearly don't understand what it is. Yeah, it goes, yeah, that, that, that problem obviously goes both ways, too. Because if we want to talk about what I brought up earlier, science is showing us that we wouldn't need to necessarily, maybe, maybe wouldn't need to have such an intense pro-life versus pro-choice conversation if we believed in science and like followed scientific study about sex education more. Similarly, we might not have to worry so much about overpopulation, about deregulating companies and how much ooze and crap they're putting into the air if we just all united behind whatever our deity of choices says we should preserve the planet and that should be our priority. If we all just like merged the, you know, tools 
and things we supposedly care about for religious reasons or otherwise, it seems like some of these problems could be solved, both in our universe and this fictional one. So I, I think that's really lovely, and it kind of brings me to what I want to make sure we cover with Jacob before we end, which is, you know, as um, I mean, you're in all sorts of categories that I think make you a very interesting person to talk to about this. So as an adult um, person in education who identifies as a progressive Christian and as a lifelong He-Man and She-Ra fan, like, how do you feel that this show, how does it speak to your, your faith and your, your, like, kind of your professional life? This is such an interesting question because I've been, I've been thinking about pop culture and religion for a long time, but especially as I get older, I get more progressively hashtag woke. So rewatching a lot of these old episodes, I'm like, man, like some of these things are so topical. Listening to He-Man talk about like the dignity of human life, even the life of his enemies, uh, how we shouldn't, you know, willy-nilly chop down trees, especially old sentient ones. Um, we shouldn't kill the last unicorn. We shouldn't hunt for sport. All of these kinds of things that are supported by my faith tradition. On the other hand, there's some really weird 1980s ideas about sort of male power fantasies and, you know, what people will wear when they're running around fighting crime. So, you know, we, when you talk about religion and the humanities, you also have to sort of interface with politics. And you have to do, like, let's talk about toxic masculinity. He-Man never really swings his sword, but is he contributing to some sort of male power fantasy or body image issues or things like that. So it's a really interesting place. I think there's a lot uh, to be done in philosophy and in theology and in all kinds of things that sort of literature studies. How do we sort of make these things work? You know, I have no problem with my children watching these shows most of the time because they're sort of, they're picking up on some of the action and the fun, but they're also picking up these, these tidbits like, you know, fair play, forgiving one another, you know, maybe it'd be nice sometimes if they would not listen to Luki's morals and listen to the morals of the show, but, you know, that's kind of where I, I come down on the sort of how this, this interfaces. I, I feel like there, there should be a book written, maybe I'll do it, I don't know, about how this all interfaces with philosophy and theology, because there's so much there. So I promise you there's a market for a book called He-Man and Philosophy, as my bookshelves would attest. We know the guy who somehow is an end to the He-Man license, and uh, also... Can Lauren and I please write the foreword if you do this? <laughs> I mean, you can probably get someone better, but... No, no, I think... So I think these kinds of things are better as conversations, right? Mm-hmm. You know, magic and tech, uh, not technology together. It's a dialogue. So, you know, I envision this kind of thing as a community project. Well, listen, we're supposedly the only She-Ra podcast right now, but if you started one that was more on that train, we would promote it and love it and not consider it a bad thing. I'm going to guess there's about to be a couple dozen as soon as this Netflix show drops. So, you know, just establish yourself early. I think I'll make King Randor my court jester when I conquer Eternia. If he's funny enough. (laughs) There was one more thing I wanted to fold in, which was at the last second... Shadow Weaver lies again. Mm, yeah. A Shadow Weaver gets caught in her betrayal and in an act of self-preservation goes, you know what, Hordak it is. Like, I'm I'm back on your team, your majesty. Skeletor, this was all Skeletor, and I've, I've been on your side the whole time. And it cements, I mean, my, the only conclusion I want to bring out of that is that it just really cements her in as my favorite character. She's not just one of the most powerful, but she, I think, is definitely the smartest. Back to your own world with you. Why did you do that? He was about to tell me who betrayed me. Oh, forgive me, Hordak. 
I was angry at his treatment of you. I did not think. Besides, he was probably lying. Who would dare try to betray the great Hordak? Do you guys want to talk about the moral, though? So I, I feel, I don't know where we're at with morals this season, but I think by request we could do one. We kind of talked about them for the other episodes, right? So Yeah, what was the one at specifically the end of this episode? This one, well, I didn't remember either. Uh, it was, today Hordak was mean to Shadow Weaver, so she tried to get revenge. But as you saw, that didn't work. If someone is mean to you, don't try to get revenge. Instead, try to forgive and forget because that usually works. Bye now. <laughs> What evidence are you basing that off of? So this is why I really wanted to talk about this, because I think it's politically relevant. If we just go back a couple of weeks to the Nasser case, I don't know if you guys remember this case. So this is the case of, of the sort of systematic abuse of tons and tons of athletes. One of the women is a, is a devout Christian, and she talks about how the need to forgive can sometimes be almost weaponized. Uh, and so what I'm thinking about this for sort of forgiveness and forgetness uh, and, forget, and forgive and forget, don't seek revenge, I'm like, hmm, there's something we need to sort of, we need in this cultural climate talk about. And that's forgiveness doesn't mean that somebody should be immune to justice. Right. Yeah, I, I've been having this conversation in my personal life a lot because I think for religious reasons or ethical reasons or otherwise, there are people in America who still feel very strongly like don't lower yourself to the tactics of your oppressor. You know, if you fight back, then you're just as bad as they are. But I don't think history agrees with that argument. The Nazis weren't going to stop unless they were fought back against. I don't think Mitch McConnell is going to back down from trying to legislate my uterus unless I fight him, you know? And so... I don't think the moral of this episode or politically what we're trying to do these days should be pacifism or forgiveness or turn the other cheek. It should be, yeah, justice, standing up for the right things, being on the right side of history. Well, you know, and speaking about uh, the value of forgiveness, uh, my favorite philosophy professor in college, I'm sorry, this, this will probably be slightly offensive to you, Jacob, but he said, if Catholics have one amazing thing to offer, it's this concept of forgiveness. He goes, if someone wrongs you a thousand times, you should forgive them a thousand one. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. And the way he was coming at it was from this idea of like, you can't hold on to resentment, which I think we see in these episodes, Shadow. Weaver is a very resentful person and it hurts her. But we can pull forgiveness apart from justice. Like just because you forgive someone in your soul doesn't mean that in, you know, in this shared reality we occupy, they are free of consequences. Like you can let go of that hurt oftentimes with probably professional help and lots of healing, but that doesn't mean that you let them get away. Right. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. Right. Was it, is it a JFK quote? Forgive your enemies, but don't forget their names. I, I think that comes in here only because looky or forgiveness, that whole thing, it's, it's a reactive way of, of seeing conflict. But a better lesson from looky might have been treat everyone with value. We saw Arden in one episode. We saw Shadow Weaver in another episode feel the need for revenge or betrayal because they weren't feeling valued. Yeah. And... You know, it's not going to work 100% of the time, but we might live in a more peaceful society that required less constant forgiveness if we proactively treated everyone as valuable. Bye now.
We have been talking on each episode about whether, like, what we think the new show will do with these elements. I would love for them to play up Shadow Weaver's role as this surrogate mother to Adora. I think there's a lot of pathos there that tends to get ignored after the pilot. I just hope all of the characters have this level of depth. Uh, I love a villain that has a point, you know? Yeah. I love a villain that makes me que- ask some important questions, and Mantena does not make me do that, and Modulok doesn't make me do that. I will say, if Shadow Weaver's not in the Netflix show, my heart will be broken. And from what Tim said, there's no reason she shouldn't be, because she wasn't a Masters of the Universe character. They never made her toy in the 80s, so she should be totally fair game. Also, uh, I want to thank our special guest for bringing us a toy. Yes. We got a Loki and a Cowl toy that we get to fight over now because there are two characters inside of it. So theoretically, we could both have one. But who opens their mint condition toy? I know. I was going to say, Lauren, you can keep it sealed on your mantle if you want. Oh, that's nice of you. I don't know, though, because I feel like my my home is really crowded. I'm actually kind of hoping we could leave it in the studio. Okay. But anyway. Anyway, Yeah, we'll talk about that off mic. My point was that Shadow Weaver toys are so expensive. So expensive. You can't find one anywhere. The Collector's Club made one, right? Um, and she is like in the realm of a hundred dollars now, I believe. If you find one for a hundred, you're lucky. I yeah, think. I couldn't find one that cheap when I was looking a couple days ago. And that even I remember there being a rights issue with her because there um, originally the fan club toys only had licenses for the original sculpts, of which there was none of her. So it took a lot of doing to even make a Shadow Weaver toy. Oh man, new toy line, new Shadow Weaver. Hell yeah. Well, I, I feel like that's probably about all that we need to discuss, but I do want to get on Mike. I want to thank you so much for reaching out to us, Jacob, and for being an excellent guest on the show. It was just a real pleasure talking to you, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to she Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower. In honor of Jacob, I wanted to shout out to the Progressive Catholic Organization Call to Action, which aims to inspire Catholics and transform the church through actions that build social justice and inclusivity and challenge racism and oppression. If you're a person of faith who wants to find like-minded progressive individuals, one place to start is cta-usa.org. 